Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Redeemer Bible Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at RedeemerSoCal.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, Love One Another. The original date of this message was the 4th of February, 2024. If you have your Bibles, I don't want to waste any time. I want to get into the Gospel of John. We are going back to the Gospel of John. Seeing what Jesus has to say as he continues. Speaking to the 11, recognizing Judas is gone. There's only so many hours left with Jesus. And he just told them that they must abide in him. That they must abide in his love. That they must let his word abide in them. And now he's going to switch from putting the emphasis on them and their relationship with him to them and their relationship with the other branches attached to the vine. That is, with other fellow believers, that is our relationship with one another. Some very challenging, perhaps some of the most challenging verses in Scripture But oh, so encouraging. John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17, is we see Jesus in the title that I've used this morning. Command us that we must love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, I I pray that no matter what our weeks have looked like, what our Saturday was like yesterday, no matter what our morning looked like this morning, that we would lay all that aside. Any distraction, any reoccurring thought, anything that might keep us from drinking deeply from your word this morning, we would lay all that aside. That you would speak to us as only you can through your spirit and the power of your written word that you have blessed us with. Your holy, your inspired word that is living and active that is free of error, that is all that we need for life and godliness, Lord. Help us in our pursuit of you to know what you require, what you command of us through your Son, that we might love one another more and more and honor you more and more in our relationships. All because of your son. 
and the glorious gospel and how we are new in him. And it's in the most matchless name, the name above all names, the name that at one point in coming time all knees will bow and everyone will confess that he is Lord. The name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So look back with me and mulling over this, my studying time this week, I kept going back to to verses 15 and 16 and I want to start off there to only come back to these verses again, but I, I don't want us to miss what Jesus says here. So significant. No longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. Two things I want to highlight just as we drop into these verses. Two things that Jesus says. First, I've called. And second, I've chosen. I've called you friends. We didn't call him friends. He chose us. We didn't choose him. And and this is significant. These are powerful words. Because that isn't all that he says. Because what he says about what he is calling them, what he calls us today is of utmost significance. And it, and it should cause us all to pause, cause us to consider how the God of the universe, how the Son of God could call us what he calls us, could call them what he calls them. Because rightfully so, as we look at the pages of Scripture and as we recognize our lives before Christ, and perhaps that's still your life today, what God called us was His enemy. What God called us is proud, rebellious, slaves, slaves to sin. Children of Satan. But that's not what we are anymore. And we know that. We we know the truths of Scripture. We know the depths of Scripture. And we know that there are many places in, in Scripture where believers, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, that they are called some amazing things. We are called the elect. We are called the chosen. We are called the called. We are called beloved of God. We are called a chosen race. We are called a royal priesthood. We are called as sons and daughters. We are called saints. But that isn't what Jesus calls them. Right here, right now. That isn't where Jesus goes as he recognizes within so many hours he is going to be crucified before their very eyes. No, where he goes is exactly what they needed to hear. And I believe it's what many of us need to hear. He calls them what? 
He calls them friends. Because that's what they needed to hear and that's what we needed to hear. He'd been walking with them for three years. Three years full of memories. Three years full of seeing Jesus love in living, living color. And now that was all going to be pulled away from him. And so what is he reminding them? He's reminding them, first, yes, you need to abide in me and I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so that you may be able to do that. And so that my presence will continue to be with you. But second, I want you to recognize that I am calling you, not slaves, which he could rightfully do. No, I'm calling you friends. Because that's how much I think of you and I want you to think of me in terms of our relationship. That you are my friends. I don't think we really get what he's saying. Because what were they calling Jesus? They don't call him friend. They call him master. They call him teacher. They, they will call him savior. But for the most part, what are the Jews thinking? They are thinking this is the king. This is the coming king. And that, that's their frame of reference. That's where they keep going back to. King, king. And William Barclay, a well-known commentator, he, he says this about a king and his relationships. And there is one relationship that the king has with a certain group that was put in a whole different category. He says this, this phrase, being friends of the king, is lit up by a custom practiced at the courts both of the Roman emperors and of the kings in the Middle East. At these courts, there was a very select group called the friends of the king. At all times, they had access to the king. They even had the right to come to his bedchamber at the beginning of the day. He talked to them before he talked to his generals, before he talked to his rulers, and before he talked to his statesmen. The friends of the king were those who had the closest and the most intimate connection with him, end quote. So do you see what Jesus is saying? He's not backing away from, from the abiding in him. He's not backing away from the relationship that he has with them. Actually, he's leaning in further. He's grabbing them tighter. He's pulling them ever so closer to him, letting him know that you are my friends. I care deeply about you and I love you. We all get the importance of friends. Turn with me to Proverbs. Or maybe you've forgotten the importance of friends. Maybe you're thinking it's better to have a whole bunch of friends than it is to have one good friend. And Proverbs would disagree with you. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. You see, the kind of friend that Jesus is going to command us to be is a different kind of friend. Why? Because... It is a friend like Jesus. And there are no other friends like friends of Jesus. 
like Jesus is calling us friends. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's, it's not a new idea. Friendship is important. Friendship is something that we need to be pursuing. Friendship is something that Scripture talks about. Jesus talks about it. The Lord calls us to a certain kind of friendship. The Word of God calls us to a certain kind of friendship all over the place. The Apostle Paul, in fact, turn there with me, in Romans, has some things to say that mirror exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say. Love one another. I should have put an exclamation behind it. It's a command. We don't get an option on it, although we'd like to pull out that, oh, I don't have to love you today card, but you don't get that option. Look at what it says in Romans and see what love is and how love is represented in Scripture as something so incredibly powerful and strong that it is representative of all of the law. Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. Listen to the word of God. Owe nothing to anyone except for this, to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And if this is your neighbor, how are we supposed to love the body of Christ? How are you supposed to love your spouse? How are you supposed to love your kids? By being the kind of friend that Jesus was to his disciples, you be that kind of loving friend to your family. Do you know why suicide rates went up during COVID? Oh yes, I know everybody's oh, loneliness and isolation, Pastor Jason, but I, I'd, I'd like to apply it to this. A lack of friends. Friendship was pulled from everyone. And, and, and some kids, they had a very difficult time, right? Not just kids, adults. Why? Because God programmed us to have relationships with one another. And when those are pulled apart or when those go completely the opposite direction of how God intended them, of how Jesus wants us to love one another, you know what happens to friendships? You know what happens to families? You know. I'm sure you have families, friends that you know of, that somebody within their family hasn't talked to their brother for some 10 or 15 years over some squabble when they were whatever age. Jesus wants us to know just how significant our love is for one another. And so he spent the first 11 verses that we looked at last week describing what? Our relationship with him. That we must abide in the vine. That we must abide in his love, abiding in him, letting his word abide in us. And now he, he switches things out. And he pulls us in. 
And he pulls them in and he says, man, I'm leaving soon and this world is going to change because of this one perspective, you loving one another and you loving the world. This will change everything and it does. He spends the next several verses explaining how believers as the individual branches of him, the true vine, are supposed to get along. And so he gives us five ways that we need to love fellow believers just like he did, just like Jesus. And notice where he starts. He starts with this, that you and I must love one another consistently. Love consistently. We see this in verse 12. It may not have popped out to you right away, but this is what he's saying. This is my commandment. Notice he's personalizing it. He's letting them know, this is the one thing I want you to take away. As I'm about to leave you, I've already framed it for you. I've given you this vivid picture as as I washed each one of your feet. I want you to serve one another by loving one another the way that I have loved. This is what... I don't just desire of you. This is what I command of you. To consistently love one another. He's already told this to them right after he washed their feet in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also might love one another. What's the difference now? Well, he's already talked to them about the Holy Spirit. He's let them know, hey, this is how it's possible. You guys fell short. None of you washed my feet when I came in. You didn't even think about it. What's going to change? The Holy Spirit is going to change you. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to be able to love one another the way that I have loved. And notice as he starts off giving us this example of, of being consistent in our loving of one another, he points to his own life. He doesn't point forward yet. Oh, he does that in in verse 13 to his death. Here he points back to his life. And there's no one among us who would understand what Jesus is saying as much as these guys. They've been with Jesus for three years. They've eaten, drank. They've done everything with Jesus. Are you kidding me? And and John says what? I've I've only given you a little bit of what happened. Only given you a little bit of his sermons. I've only given you a little bit of his miracles. I've only given you a little bit of his of his love put on full display. But just to walk us through what that has looked like, just consider this. This is just in the Gospel of John that we've already looked at, and how this would have been etched in their memories. How much is the love of Jesus etched in your memory? on how you can then love others the way that he loved. Starting in John chapter 2, it is first miracle, one that he shouldn't have done, right? The one that his pesky mom came after him for. And yet instead of just shutting her down completely, he's gracious. Yes, he, he admonishes her, but in the end, what does he do? He loves her. He does what she bids, even... Though he says this, not yet my time. 
He was thinking not just of her, but he was thinking of all those there. You don't get invited to a wedding unless you know the family. He knew this couple. And so he's showing his love to the disciples right there, right from the beginning. What about John chapter 3 and Nicodemus? I think if any of us were, were really honest, we, we, we would have sent Nicodemus away and said, hey, come back tomorrow when it's, when it's light and tired. I was, I was getting ready to sleep. Or we would have been fed up with him not really grasping what we were saying. What do you mean be born again? Am I going to have to go back in there and come back out? And what does Jesus do? He's just so loving and gracious with Nicodemus. And his disciples, are they not following? Are they not seeing this over and over again? John chapter 4, where does he go? He goes to Samaria and he does the unthinkable. He speaks with the Samaritan woman. He doesn't just speak with her. He gives her the key to life. He lets her know, I am the living water. There's no way for you to live throughout eternity without me. I am the chosen one. I am the coming one. I am the Messiah. And she what? She responds. Her life changes. She goes to, to town, to the entire city, brings everybody back. And what does Jesus do? Oh, I don't have time for you. You guys are Samaritans. No, he spends two more days. What kind of impact would this have on the disciples? Much more than it would on you and I. Then you get to John chapter 6 in the feeding of the 5,000. What does that speak of? Oh, yes, it was a way for them to, to see their faith in action, that Jesus can do anything because he's God. But also, it showed his love and concern for everyone. As he looked at all these people and knew that they were going to be hungry, so he loves on them. Putting that as a vivid picture in the mind of the disciples Not only that, it was who he loved. Over and over again, defying what the norm was and doing things that you and I, if we were Jewish in that day, we would say, oh man, that's outlandish. That's wrong. What do you mean you're going to the Samaritans and talking to them? What do you mean in in, in John chapter 8, there's a woman caught in adultery and he doesn't condemn her? And they're following all of this. They're seeing his love lived out not just for the Jews, but for all. Then you get to John chapter 11. And I skipped John chapter 9 with a man born blind. That too was another opportunity that they had seen Jesus' love in vivid, high definition color. Get to Lazarus and what does Jesus do? He doesn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. He shows his love and his concern. He speaks with Martha He speaks with Mary. And then he does the unthinkable. Even before he raises him, he cries. To show his love for what? For Mary, for Martha, for Lazarus, for their whole family and all those that are there. Are you kidding me? This is our Savior. Full of love. And all of that to get us to the context of what just happened. He had just washed their feet proving to them that he is willing to do anything to show what true love is, giving them this wonderful example. So when Jesus says, love as I have loved, there's a lifetime caught up in those words, even though they'd only been with Jesus for three years. A lifetime of example. 
a lifetime of teaching, a lifetime of watching him. And we are to follow suit. Jesus, was there ever a time when Jesus wasn't loving? You might push back and say, well, when he said that to the Pharisees? No, he's still being loving, speaking the truth in love. The fact that he's telling them how off they are is loving. Why? Because he desires that none should perish. There's never a time where Jesus is not loving. And yet, how are we? Are are we consistent in our love for one another? Let me just bring this home. You husbands, when you come home after a long day of work, and you're like, man, I just can't wait to watch the whatever, And do you know what your wife's thinking? She's been with the kids all day and the kids have been driving her nuts and she's like, oh, I just can't wait for him to rescue me. And at that point, you have two different expectations and one of you is going to lose unless, unless both of you follow Jesus' example. Unless both of you love the other more than you love yourself unless you are consistent in how you are thinking about how you can love your wife, how you can love your husband. How about you go to the doctor and you get not such good news? How does that affect you and how you love others? Are you consistent in how you are being like Jesus and loving others? Oh, what a challenge. And yet, oh, what encouragement to know that Jesus is saying this to them just before he's about to leave them, reminding them that you are my friends. I will be with you. And it's better that I go because then the Holy Spirit will come and indwell you and allow you to do what you could not do by yourself. For with God, what? Nothing is impossible. And so we see clearly first we are to love one another consistently day in and day out. We are to make every day count in our love for one another, not just within our family, but when we go to work with those that we're given that opportunity. And yes, in Christ's church, that is the context, but love is to continue to go out. And then where does Jesus go? Then he goes to a sacrificial love that we must love sacrificially. So he points back in verse 12 and he points forward in verse 13 to something that they would have no idea until they see it. And I wonder what happens when the lights finally come on and they recognize, oh man, that's what Jesus meant? When when I'm supposed to love sacrificially, when I'm supposed to lay my life down, he, he means literally He means there's nothing that should be so important to me that I'm not willing to give it up in the name of love, even my own life. That's what he says in 13. Greater love has no one than this. He's giving us a quality of love that he is putting up and above any other kind of love. And it's all this is agape love. And now he's saying this is the greatest of the loves. If you have a friend and they're going to show you the greatest love, this is it. A sacrificing kind of love where one lays down his life for his friends. 
I wonder what it was like when this hit them. Did it happen as he was on the cross? Did it happen even before that? Did it take more time for it to hit them? When he speaks of this kind of love, he's speaking of a willingness to give up everything for one another. A willingness to give up everything for one another. Showing how far we will go in order to love one another. How far will you go? How far will you go to show your love for another? The same author in 1 John 3.16 says this, John, did he learn the lesson from Jesus? You bet. He says this, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is our call as a church. That we are to lay our lives down for one another and man, praise the Lord. We, we just took a, an elder care fund offering that's, that's our one anothering offering is really what it is. It's, it's not about the elders. It's about us as a body. And over and over and over again, you don't have to give to that. But over and over again, you do. And over and over again, the Lord blesses those within our body and sometimes those outside of our body with your gifts. How much do you love someone, your friends, We had many humbling things happen when we were serving the Lord as missionaries in Papua New Guinea. We had some very cool things. I remember going through a Walmart one time and Shannon and I had filled up two carts with toys that we could take with us to Papua New Guinea. Why? Because we weren't gonna be in a place where we could get Christmas presents or birthday presents for our kids. So we had four years and we're trying to guess what the kids would like in four years. It's kind of hard. And we have two shopping carts and we strike up a conversation with the person in front of us in line telling them what we're doing and where we're going. And, and this is a guy who doesn't know us, right? He leaves and there might've been a woman. I can't even remember. My wife remembers things better than I do. Ask Shannon. We get up to pay and, and the cashier's like, the guy before you paid, he paid it in full. You know, when we were on the mission field, we had times where we couldn't pay for our tickets to come home. And we'd been praying and praying and praying. And do you know who paid? A, a single missionary. Was that because it's easy and, and, and she was beyond wealthy? No. It's because she was sacrificial. She was willing to give up anything that she had for the sake of another. Man, how challenging it is to consider those who live like that. Do you live like that? Do, do I live like that? In, in your relationships, let me pinpoint this to our marriages. How well do you listen? Do you stop thinking about what you're going to say as they're talking so that you are giving them your full undivided attention? Are you dying to being heard? How much of your life is centered around you speaking and everybody listening? 
and you just want to be heard. So you'll cut someone off when they're talking. You'll speak louder than someone. Hey, I get it. Come to my house. You'll see it in our home. You'll see me doing it. So convicting. No, I need to die to that. How about this one? How good are you at dying to being right? Whether that's an argument or that's anything. That you give that up in the name of love. And you say, you know what? I'm not even going to keep going with this argument. I give this one up. For the sake of love. For your sake. I'm going to let that go. How about dying to getting your way? This could play itself out in so many different ways. When you go out, do you always go out to the restaurant you want to go to? How about the things you watch on TV? How about the things you talk about? Is it usually centered on the things you like to talk about in our marriage relationships? How about letting your wife talk? How about letting your husband talk? How about putting them first? How about doing the same thing with our kids? How about doing that here in church? And there's so many areas that the Lord's been pointing to me and revealing to me and saying to me, Jason, you don't know what it is to sacrifice for another. If someone were to watch your life over the last six months and your life unfolded before their very eyes, what would they see of your sacrificial love for others? Would they see it? And Jesus reminds us really three times in these short verses that this is not optional. You are my friends, verse 14, if you do what I command you. This is my commandment. These are imperatives. This is not an option. This is something that we must do. He's called us his friends, and then he gives us this qualifier and says, oh yeah, but the only way that you are my friends is if you do what I say. And in this context, that do what I say, do what I command you is if you love one another. So love consistently, love sacrificially. And third, we see this, love truthfully. This may not be readily apparent as you look at verse 15, but this is what Jesus is saying. Another way to say love truthfully didn't meet my outline as easy because it's too many words, but love one another by giving them God's truth. That's what Jesus is saying then. Give them the truth, not your truth, not what you think. You give them the word of God. You give them some encouragement that you've received from the word of God. You follow the word of God in the way that you speak, in the way that you live your life, and you constantly allow the word of God because you are, what? Letting it abide in you. You are constantly letting the word of God come out of you. That is what the Lord Jesus did over and over again. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Here he goes into the master-slave relationship, and he lets them know, well, this isn't the way that it should be. We, We get this. If you're studying for your doctoral thesis, if you're even 
High school, I think you can do this a little bit, but definitely in college and in different places as you continue along in your education, what do people do? You go after the teachers you want, right? You figure out what teacher you like and that's who you go for. That's the one that you're trying to get. And Jesus switches everything upside down. He says, no, I'm calling you my friend. You're not choosing me, I'm choosing you. And even though I could still call you slave, and the word is doulos, I'm calling you friend. Do you know what Paul does? He does the opposite. He doesn't call Jesus his friend. He, he calls himself the servant, no, the slave of Jesus. He uses the same word as he opens up many of his epistles. That's how Paul looked at himself. And yet Jesus is not saying that. He's reminding them, I've expressed everything to you that my father told me to tell you. I've shared everything. Even when this wouldn't have been normal for a master-to-slave relationship, you don't speak to the slaves about things like Jesus does. But he's not treating them as slaves. He doesn't treat us as slaves. And he gives them the truth, and that is what we should give to one another. It's interesting, the word called here is in the perfect sense in the Greek, which means that it happened one time in the past, and yet it continues to have its effect to where it's still happening in the present. This means that there's never a time when you will not be the friend of Jesus. If you are indeed his friend, and if you have believed. Do we speak the truth? of God's word into each other's lives? Do we speak it into our marriages, into our kids, into our time together here at church, encouraging one another? I'd encourage you, if you're you're not going to a community group, come to a community group because this is where things like this happen. This is where you will be given an opportunity to, to be a blessing to someone and allow them to be a blessing to you by imparting to you the cool things that God has been teaching them through his word and in their lives. And here, instead of us picking Jesus, he chooses us. He calls us to be his friend. But he's not finished. He has another lesson for us, another aspect of how we must must love one another. It's not just that we love consistently. It's not just that we love sacrificially. It's not just that we love truthfully according to the word of God, but we must love one another humbly. That's where he goes in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. As much as the disciples would want to think later on that it was all about them. It was not all about them. As much as you would like to think that it's all about you, it's not all about you. It's about him. And he chooses us in just the most crazy work of grace ever that he would choose any of us, right? No doubt they got this as they had spent time with Jesus so many days with Jesus and were so unworthy of his love and his acceptance and yet he graced them in spite of all that because it wasn't about them. It was about him. 
And what would that do? That would humble them. That should humble us. Why? Because they recognize that it isn't because of anything that they have done in order that Jesus now loves them, that Jesus has now called them friends. It's all based on Jesus. Why is it that we expect others need to earn our love in order for us to give it to them? When Jesus did the complete opposite, he gave us his love without us earning anything except for condemnation and hell. In the same way that we should be willing to forgive others because he forgave us, we should be willing to love others, period, and no strings attached. But this is so hard. Why? Because we are wired to be so self-absorbed, to think that this person owes this to me. And so, no, I'm going to withdraw my love. And yet Jesus says, no, I never withdrew my love. So challenging. And then he says this, isn't it interesting? In the midst of talking about loving one another, he goes back to the bearing fruit. He chose us and he also appointed us that we would what? Go and bear fruit. No doubt he's talking about fruit. Galatians 5.22, what is the first one mentioned? Love. We, we saw already in Romans that love represents all of the law. So the fruit that we should see coming out of our lives is indeed love, love for one another. But notice what he says, that that fruit would remain, that that fruit would be eternal, that that fruit would be something that impacts eternity. So no doubt there's a part of this fruit that is speaking of evangelism, that is speaking of the way that we love one another within the context of this church here at Redeemer Bible Church will have an impact and influence on the world around us, on those around us as, as they come and visit, as they see us interacting in our homes with our families, that the Lord uses that in order to open some of their blind eyes to a saving knowledge of him as we proclaim the gospel to them. And it is that, but it is so much more. What has been so challenging for me in thinking through this is this aspect of what am I living for? Am I living for the things that impact eternity? Will what you are doing right now really last? Will it remain forever as far as the fruit? As far as what you are making the priority of your life? And please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that everyone needs to become a missionary in Papua New Guinea like my family and I did. That everyone needs to become a pastor standing up at a pulpit like this. No, what I am saying is that whatever you are doing, are you doing it for the glory of God? That whatever you are doing it, you are doing so that you can be all that God wants you to be in that particular spot to shine for Jesus wherever you are and to speak of him so that when it is all said and done, it will bear a fruit that will last for all of eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is encouraging them in. Guys, I recognize it is going to be hard. But I prepared fruit for you that you're gonna walk into that's gonna bear 
And it's going to come forth and you're going to do things that you aren't able to do in and of yourselves. But that's my grace. And in that, this fruit will remain. So love continually, love sacrificially, love humbly, love truthfully. And love prayerfully. You can't forget this. Jesus didn't. He's mentioned praying in the last couple chapters. This is the fourth time. He doesn't want them to miss the fact that they must walk in dependence upon him. Praying to him over and over again. That whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. I know we like to turn this upside down and make this all about us. Sweet, then whatever I ask, he's going to give me. But remember, the context is loving one another. So I'm going to say that what this means is that we should be praying for what? One another. That we should be praying for loving one another well. You should be praying that I am as much as I can with the spirit in me, being exactly the man of God that he wants me to be in my home. And I should be praying the same for you and for your families. And we should be praying for one another that we are the testimony and the witness that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be here in this valley and wherever the Lord sends us. But that's kind of out here. How about in here? Do you pray for one another? Look around. Go ahead. I'm the only one like looking at all of you. Do you pray for these folks? You know, we're we're heading back to Papua New Guinea in July. Haven't been there for 10 years. I would give my life for many of those guys. But if you looked at my prayer life over the last 10 years, it would be like this. And why is that? Because I'm self-absorbed. Because this isn't a practice that I make until I know it's so many months before we're going to go back. And man, I really need to start praying for these guys. How about you? Your family? Your spouses? Your children? Your immediate family? Your friends? Your neighbors? Those here? Leadership? You see, Jesus is saying that that if we are loving one another, then we will be praying. And as we pray, that the Lord will allow us to do what? To love one another well. And notice as he wraps everything up and gets to verse 17, he goes right back around to it again. This I command you, that you love one another. There are no options I know that our world would like us to believe that love is just an emotion and if I don't feel like it, then I don't have to do it. That is not biblical love. Love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. Love is a matter of the will that you and I must do whether we feel like it or not. Going back to Jesus consistently loving 
Maybe perhaps the reason we don't pray as much as we should is because we're not loving one another as we should. When I say we, I mean me. You see, love is the greatest act we can do for one another to love them selflessly. But how do you practically love one another? Let me give us five implications on what we've already looked at. How do you love someone consistently? You love them when you feel like it and when you don't. These are gonna be very simple. How do you love someone consistently? How do we love one another consistently? We love one another whether we feel like it or not every day of the week. Number two, how do you love one another sacrificially? When your flesh says no that you need the love, you say no to your flesh and you love them anyways. Love them sacrificially. When your flesh says no, you need that love. You say no to your flesh and you say, no, I'm gonna love them anyways. Even if my flesh is screaming to me, How do we love them truthfully? When you want to attack someone with your words, instead, love them with the truth. In love. When you want to attack someone with your words, instead, love them with the truth. And how do we love someone humbly? When you're tempted to make it all about you, make it all about him, and make it all about them. That person, whoever you are struggling with loving, how do we love someone humbly? When you're tempted to make it all about you, make it all about him, honoring God, and all about them, loving them, not yourself. How do we love them prayerfully? How do we love one another prayerfully? When you have nothing good to say, then pray. How do you love one another prayerfully when you have nothing good to say? Then pray. Do you ever pray in the middle of a conversation? I was struck with this this week. Do you ever pray and somebody else is just going off on something and, 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 and you can tell you're getting... You, you guys know my face gets red. My face gets red whether I get excited or whether I'm getting angry. Or it's just, that just happens at times. Do, do you ever have the, that, that spot where you know that you're getting pulled and, and instead of letting it pull you, you just stop and you pray. Lord, give me the words to say. Give me ears to hear what this person is saying because right now our communication is going They're not getting what I'm saying. I'm not getting what they're saying. Help me. Pray. Why? So that the Lord would be honored, would be glorified. If Jesus were here with us this morning, let me close with this. Would he say that you love others as he loved? If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know that he would call you his friend this morning, would he say that you are obeying his commands to love one another? Would he say that you are bearing the fruit that he appointed for you to bear? 
And if Jesus were standing here this morning, would he call you friend? He only calls those that are his friends. Only those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, recognizing that he is the only way to the Father, that he is the only way to have your sins forgiven, that we are all sinners? The only one who ever walked the face of this planet who never sinned was Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord for that because that has allowed, that allowed him to pay the price for sin. And he is the only one who can grant you forgiveness, that can give you eternal life. And that is the only way that you can be called friend by Jesus. Have you believed? If he were standing here this morning, would he call you friend? And are are we being the kind of friends that he wants us to be to one another? Living day in and day out with one another. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is so, so good. We thank you for the example of your son that you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and how he loved continually, sacrificially, truthfully, humbly, and prayerfully all of his days. Help us to do the same by the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling us. And if there is anyone here who does not know you, that you, your son would not call him friend, may they believe in Jesus today as their Savior. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.